I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi all and welcome to another episode of the Motormouth podcast. Today we're meeting someone a little different. Yes, we are an F1 podcast, but it's time to mix it up a little. And so we're speaking to an F1 fan, but not someone from within the sport, not a driver, not a team principal. It's a professional snooker player called Gary Wilson. Gary plays on the tour against people like Ronnie O'Sullivan, the greatest player ever to pick up a cue. And in an eye-opening chat about life as a pro player on the tour, we cover his rise, fall and rise again as he challenges to become world champion. Don't worry, we talk F1 as well and discover Gary's brilliant knowledge of our beloved sport. I hope you enjoy this one. And if you've got any questions, feel free to get in touch through our socials or send us a voice note to ts at motormouth-media.com and we'll respond in a future episode. And stay tuned to the Motormouth podcast because very soon we'll be making an extremely exciting announcement which is really going to take this show to the next level. Right, let's go meet Gary. Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. We like to go back in time and find out a little bit about our guests before we dive into the details. So take us back to your early years. Where did you grow up? Where's home? What's shaped you as a human being? Yeah, uh, thanks for having us. Um, well, just a pretty simple lad, to be honest. Grew up in a small town, Walls End in Newcastle, and just basically grew up like everybody else in a, in a normal sort of working class housing estate, following football, Newcastle United. Um, but when I was really young, sort of seeing a bit of snooker on the TV, I guess around the Steve Davis, Stephen Hendry days when he was starting to come through and my mum and dad seen that I really enjoyed that and got us a little table for Christmas when I was like two, three year old. And basically from there, loved snooker amongst other things, but obviously went on to make a career out of it. So yeah, that's where it all started really. Now, before we get into the snooker bit, um let's talk football so are you an avid Newcastle supporter fan is this is this a big thing for you yeah I mean not absolutely die hard but obviously yeah big fan you know um always I always have been since since growing up you know uh we, we we had a field next to where we live where we used to play football all the time as you do when you're a kid and you know 
always followed Newcastle and, and luckily through at the time what was some some great years. I was born in nineteen eighty five, so obviously the times when we started doing really well when Keegan took over, that was like my kind of time when I was a kid as well. So it was really lucky to have them times when we were growing up. So yeah, always followed them from sort of six, seven, eight years old. Yeah. Is it true that when Newcastle have a good weekend and they have a good win, that it actually affects the mood of the city? I've heard it even affects the local economy because people are out celebrating and having a good time. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's just such a unique city. Um, obviously, it's a it's a one-club city as well, but, I mean, just the whole of the city revolves around Newcastle United Football Club. Um, it's obviously right in the in the heart of the city as well. It's, you know, they call it like, is it the... Um, What's it the, on the hill? You know what's what, what's the phrase again? Sorry, um, it's it's like the it's like the centerpiece on the hill though. Basically, I can't remember the phrase, uh, but it, it does. Mean. It's it's sort of everything. It sort of looks over the city. It's everything surrounds it, and it, it is the heart of the city completely. So, yeah, if if Newcastle win and they're doing well, it, it does affect the whole city, as you say, and everything's brilliant at the moment generally. So long may it continue. Good stuff. Now, you mentioned your, your parents got you a, a snooker table when you were two to three years old, just a little one, I'd imagine. Um, so what inspired you or who inspired you through those early years as you were you were growing up and just starting to get used to being around a table? Um, well, mainly at that age, it was my dad, obviously. At, at the time when we're talking, when I was really young, you know, just literally seeing the colours and the table on the screen and it, it wasn't really an interest. You couldn't you couldn't even call it an interest then. It was literally me sort of going up to the TV and my little walker and putting my hands over the TV and just trying to sort of see what's going on. And as I say, I I was given a small table then for Christmas, just just probably not nothing serious in it at all, just to see see if I enjoyed it, you know. And I literally played on it all the time. Um and as I say, that progressed into my dad being a main influence really and saying, look, like, you know, a few years later, I was starting to actually pop some good balls and actually beat him, you know, from a very young age. So he thought there might have been something in that. He could see how I could cue properly straight away, you know, the, the bridge hand and the technique and, you know, how to do it. And it was all coming naturally. It was quite quickly. So, he, yeah, my dad was a massive influence till I pestered him enough when I was eight years old to say, look, I want to go and play one of the big tables. I want to play in a proper club. I want to see what it's like. Obviously, during that period from like three, four, five years old to eight, I was watching it on the TV as well and just couldn't wait to play what the, the, the pros were playing on, the proper full-size tables. So he did that. He took us down the snooker club and, yeah, it was, my dad was obviously the one that, that started everything. Um and then the other person I would say is Stan Chambers, who sadly passed away a few years ago. Um, he's like the main snooker guru in the in the northeast, who's been around for God knows how many years. And he took us under his wing and wanted to help us, seeing that I had talent. And long story short, he was a, he was another massive help as well. Yeah. Can can anyone be a snooker player? Because it's it's an interesting sport, and um, I suppose with all sports, there's. An, an element of natural ability but is it something that could be taught like if, if I took up snooker at five or six years old but I clearly didn't have necessarily the natural ability that you you clearly did is it something that could be taught with enough practice um it, 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 it's like any sport I would say you have to have it you have to have a certain amount of natural ability you have to you can if you've got no real ability for sport or or snooker or whatever it is that you're picking to do 
I personally don't believe you can get far enough to make a good living out of the game because you're just going to be banging your head against a brick wall. You can practice as long as you want and try as hard as you want. and You've got to have that little bit of something. If you don't have that, it doesn't matter how much practice you put in. You're, not, you're never going to quite get there. Um, so yeah, for me, it has to start with a bit of natural ability, a bit of something to go, oh, hang on a minute, it's got something there. And then all the hard work comes after that. So if you go to the snooker club, I don't know how good you are and you find you can't pot a ball, stick to doing this, I would say. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you feel like you're making a couple of like 16, 20 breaks and it's coming quite naturally to you, yeah, I would say by all means, give it a bash. Was there ever anything else? Like what, what was plan B if this didn't work out? There wasn't one at that age at all. Uh, I mean, I was all right at football uh, in the school teams and stuff. I wasn't anything special at all. I would play on the school teams, but there came a bit of a decision even at sort of nine years old, really, when school team were going to play down, you know, Wars End Boys Club, obviously mass- massively famous in the northeast. We were playing games down there and stuff. And I remember a conversation with my dad in the car, um, either on the way there or on the way back, sort of saying, look, we're going to have to kind of decide now. Do you want to keep coming to the football games on Saturday or whatever it is? Or do you want to, do you want to go to coaching? Because Stan used to do a coaching class on the Saturday mornings from like 9 till 12 or whatever it was for snooker. And it was a bit of a decision even then. Do I do I go to football or do I go to snooker? And I decided pretty quickly, really, that I loved snooker. I was good at it and I fancied making a living out of it at that, you know, obviously at that young age as well. So that, w- that was a bit of a decision. But really, no, there was no plan B. I, school was just for me, get through it, get me GCSEs and get out of there. My mum wanted us more than anyone to do that. Like She was like, you've got to have something to back up. You can't just play snooker all the time and just quit school or anything like that. Play as much as you can, but you've got to stick in at school, at least get your GCSEs. So I did that. And as soon as I got them, well, all my mates and everyone went after sixth form. I went to the snooker club for the rest of the time and practised. It's it's not easy to get to that elite level, though, is it? And we, we've had loads of racing drivers on here. Obviously, you know, racing is our main thing. And some of them have had really challenging times when they've been trying to reach the top and have had to have time out or do other things because they can't afford a, a race seat or wherever it might be. Is it? Have you experienced that? Because... I read somewhere that you you went through a stint of taxi driving, working in a frozen food factory. How how challenging has it been to get to the elite? And and during that time, how was it mentally for you, knowing that you wanted to be a pro? How difficult was it going through those points in your career? Yeah, it was it was really tough because I kind of did it sort of the wrong way. Um, it was it was sort of like I was already pro for a couple of years when I was eighteen. And and then it fell apart a bit and I actually had them years that you're referring to there as with factory work and taxi driving. They all came after I'd kind of almost got the way I wanted to get to, if you know what I mean. It wasn't as if it was a build up and then eventually I got there. I got there, I fell off the tour and I had all them years of struggling. So it, that was even harder in a way, I think, because you know how good you can be, you know how good you are and where you've been and you're not there again and you've got to rebuild yourself back up and try and get there again. So, yeah, it was it was, it was was really tough. Obviously, motorsport is a lot different to, to, you know, sports like snooker as well in that, yeah, as you said, you've got to have the backing as well. You've got to have all the, all the money behind you to be able to do it in motorsport generally, whereas I guess in a sense with snooker, it's not as bad. Obviously, it's a case of going down the snooker club for a lot of your younger years and just putting the practice in, which isn't that expensive in the grand scheme of things. But 
again, like any other sport or anything you want to do properly, there is all the expenses involved in that where you've got to go away to junior tournaments, you've got to travel around the country, you've got to go playing this, playing that, stay here, stay there, stay everywhere. And the expenses do rack up and we were never we were never rich by any means you know we were just a very standard working class family me my mum and my dad and they helped us out massively um paying for everything to get us around the country to play in what i needed to play in to try and get to the next stage you know winning certain junior tournaments and all that kind of thing so yeah after doing all that as i say and then turning pro at 18 I thought, right, okay, we can, we can kick on now. And then it was just like, as I say, two years on the tour and then calamity struck and it was, oh, I'm off the tour. What do I do was now? It, what, how come you and, dropped off the tour? Was that just a, a poor run of form? And you Is it like golf where yeah, you lose your card and then you have to fight your way back in? Exactly. And at, at the time, this, this was around 2006 when I fell off the tour. And at the time, snooker, the game wasn't, wasn't in as good a position as it is now. So there was a lot less tournaments per season. So you may be talking maybe half a dozen tournaments per season, ranking tournaments. And if you don't do well in you know one or two of them, you're under a lot of pressure straight away. Um, back then as well, it was a one-year tour card, whereas now it's a two-year tour card you get for getting on. So you've got a bit more of a chance these days. As I say, if, if you've got a one-year card in half a dozen tournaments, and your tournaments are spread out, obviously there's only six or seven. They're spread out over like... You'll, miss, you'll lose a game and then it's like two months later until you play another one. So you're wondering, well, what do I do in these two months? I can't just practice all the time. I need to make money as well and stuff, you know? So it was a tougher time. And it, yeah, as you, as you say, it was a loss in form, um, just struggling generally. And then, as I say, it came to the point where I sort of fell off the second year. I survived the first year, just fell off the second year by one match and thought, God, what do I do now? Because back then, again, you didn't have what you have now, which is a chance straight away in an event called like Q School to qualify to get back on. You had to wait a whole another year till it came round again to try and qualify for the following season. So I was just in the wilderness thinking, <laughs> yeah, what do I do? That's when bar work started. You know, I started working behind a bar and that's when the job started, yeah, to try and get us through, yeah. hoping that I would just get back on straight away, really. It's brutal. Like, God, we, we think the, the Red Bull system's brutal in F1. I mean, if you, you have a bad run in snooker and you're, you're screwed unless you, you know, get your head back together, aren't you? Now, I'm, I'm really curious. I'm sure you get asked this all the time. So apologies, but I've never spoken to a pro snooker <laughs> player before, so I'm going to ask it. What's it like to play Ronnie O'Sullivan? Um, yeah, he's he's obviously a bit of an enigma, you know. He's a bit of a he's got that aura. Um, without bigging him up too much, I'm a fellow pro at the end of the day. He, he is the best player we've ever seen in our game. I think it's without doubt now. Um, and it's not it's not just that he's the best player. As I say, he's got that aura. He's just got that little bit of something about him and his personality as well, which when you play him. Um, or when you just see him even around the venues and stuff, you know, it's just, it's just something a little bit different. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's it's a good it's a great thing when you play him. Obviously, it's great for yourself. It's great for the game. You know, everybody watching you in that kind of game, and it's it's just a. We're just hoping he stays around a bit longer, to be honest, because a lot of snooker is, is is around Ronnie O'Sullivan as well, you know, and once he once he decides to retire. I'm not one of these that's going to say the game's finished or anything like that. It's not at all. But he does bring something to the table that 
nobody else brings really. Yeah. So it will be a shame when we see him go whenever that's going to be. Yeah, well, you, n- you never know with Ronnie, do you? It could, could be tomorrow, could be in a year, could be in 10 years. But what do well, you think? Well, he's been if retiring you... for 20 years, well, so you never exactly. know. Do you? <laughs> I know, you, you really don't know where you stand with him. Will, will, the, will, the, will Snooker, do you think, go the direction of darts? I mean, that rightly or wrongly, I sort of pair the two together slightly. And obviously the Saudis have have taken a big stake in it and they, they've got the... Uh, you know, the, the tours in the Middle East and there was the Bahrain event recently. Do you think the Saudis will will come in for a bit of snooker action and, and maybe take it to that that next level? Well, we've actually recently, um, there's just been announced a tournament in Saudi Arabia. Um, so the general business model with, with World Snooker, who obviously organise the events and get the promoters involved and stuff, is when you go to new territories like that, like we've had in India before and when it started in China years ago, Thailand, wherever it may be, is to try and have a tournament where you've got the top players go first, bit of a showcase for the event, get it started over there, and then to hopefully follow with a full ranking event for the whole 128 players on the tour. So we've just recently announced that in March this year, there will be an eight-man, well, it's a 10-man event. There's two wild cards from Saudi Arabia as well. Um yeah, so like a small event over there, but with a lot of prize money, you know. So it's a massive event, which hopefully will kickstart, as I say, a full ranking event for next season. So, yeah, that's that's currently happening. So everybody's very excited about that, yeah. It is exciting. I mean, it's it, the Saudis are buying up every sport on the planet at the moment, you know, boxing and yeah. everything else. But it, it'll be interesting if they've got two Saudi players in there. That's going to be interesting because they at the Bahrain darts, they had, they had a couple of Bahraini dart players and... Honestly, I, I could have done better. It was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> but equally, you've got to start somewhere. So I, I, I do get it. Now, let's let's turn our attention to motorsport a little bit. Um, we heard that you're a, a racing fan, hence getting you on the show. I love snooker and I love all these, these sports um, like darts like we've talked about. Um, but I, I, I'm obviously a passionate racing fan. What's your relationship with motorsport? When did that first come on your radar? So probably like when I was just mentioning earlier on, when I was sort of watching snooker as a kid before I even had a chance to go and play on a full-size table, um, I was also watching motorsport. I was also watching the days when Nigel Mansell won the world championship, you know, back in 1992. So that, that would have made me around seven years old at the time. So that's probably around the time when I got sort of into it. Um, yeah, and I've, I've followed it ever since. I've I've been... Always keeping an eye on the F1, um, always keeping an eye on the WRC, probably since the Colin McRae days, obviously when he won the World Championship in 95. Um, and I've always kept an eye actually on like the, the British touring cars. That obviously had a big boom in sort of the 90s. And again, when I was a kid growing up. So them three really have been the I've had an eye on superbikes with Carl Fogarty when he was winning everything. Um, obviously, when it was before it was MotoGP, there was a bit of McDoing and in the 500s and then obviously that changed to MotoGP so I keep an eye on the bikes but not as not as big a fan the racing is better generally but not as big a fan of the bikes but yeah a lot of motorsports but as I say the main ones F1 WRC touring cars always kept an eye on all of that yeah well all right then let's get into your F1 so favorite teams favorite drivers presumably you support the Brits yeah, I mean, obviously, again, growing up watching Mansell and stuff at the time, Williams was was my favourite team. Um, just the colour scheme as well, you know, the livery at the time, the blue, the the, the yellow, and the white, and it, 
it was it was a it was a it was a great time and following Nigel and Damon Hill, um, Villeneuve, and then from then obviously they, they had a bit of a downward spiral after the BMW days and it wasn't great and they were always my like and they kind of still are my favourite team but they're just struggling so much now that they, they can't seem to get anywhere near the top anymore and it's a bit of a shame so I'm a bit good but uh, yeah favourite drivers would probably be. Um, I would probably, if I had to pick one, it would probably have to be. And I don't, I'm not going. I'm not even going to say who you might think, like Lewis or anything like that. It would probably have to be Damon Hill. Okay. To be totally honest, yeah. yeah. I, I just really love Damon. For some reason, I loved the Zero car as well. Do you remember that back yeah, in '93? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously, um, yeah, they, they were my days, and I guess it's just a bit of a nostalgic trip, I suppose. But yeah, all the way back then, Damon it's Hill that for me. classic rose tinted glasses look, isn't it? Looking back, I mean, I, I'm from the same sort of era, and I always look back yeah. fondly at those days. But it's funny because you, you, people always bark on about the good old days. Um, but Formula One now really has never been closer, you know, in terms of the racing itself. I remember watching in those days, and people would win by laps. You know that just yeah. doesn't doesn't happen anymore. It's far closer, no, it's than, than, closer. It, than it used to be. Yeah. So what what are your thoughts on this year then? So we're obviously in, we're we're thick in the uh, in the car launch season at the moment. As we talk, the Aston Martin um, car has been released this morning, which looks extremely similar to the Aston Martin car from last year. But who have you uh, who have you got your eye on this year? I presumably um, you uh, you're quite excited about the the recent switch for Hamilton across to Ferrari, which. Was uh, was an interesting one. I certainly didn't see coming. But what are your views on F one for the rest of this season? Yeah, obviously, I've I've seen a few of the car launches, as you've said, and a few of them I'm a bit disappointed by. As you yes. say, very similar, very boring, very yeah. the same. All that you know, one that stood out, and obviously everyone's probably been saying it. But what I'm looking forward to, it's my favourite colour as well, the sauber. Yeah, what a great looking car that looks. Um, yeah. you know the bright the bright green sort of my favourite colour as well. So that with black looks unbelievable. Do you know what they though? do well? So I, I was I was at that car launch and. It, there's there's serious as the vibes coming out of that car. Like it's, <laughs> it's almost exactly. If you check the Pantones, I bet they're the same. It looks cool, but I didn't love it in the flesh. I thought it looked good, but I didn't love it. I thought it was all right. Right. But, but there's the trouble is that what we're seeing is this this carbon thing going on where they're they're obviously trying to save weight by putting less paint on the cars, and there's a lot of exposed yeah. carbon. So I was quite pleased with the uh, the Visa Cash app. RB or what, whatever the hell it's called, which at least I had a, could, had well, a I couldn't paperwork. get my head around that one. Yeah, like what's what's the name of that exactly? I couldn't get my head around what's going on. Well, the, yeah, Visa, I mean, what? Visa Cash Apps. There's two two title sponsors, and then RB, and God knows why they've gone with RB, but who knows what they're going to call that thing when it's um when it's in commentary time, and you know, you've <laughs> got to get get your words out quickly. Probably just go with RB. Um, but yeah, and which sounds I, I like Red mind. Bull, which is obviously the sister team, well, isn't it? But uh, exactly. are people just going to refer to it as the Red Bull or what? They, they, yeah, <laughs> the Red Bull Junior team, Toro Rosso. I mean, who knows? But um, yeah. but I'm, I like that you called it Sauber and not the Stake F1 team. That's uh, that's the sign of a proper F1 fan, right there. Yeah, it's always been Sauber. Let's be honest, isn't yeah. it? So yeah, um, yeah, I love I love the look of that car. Um, obviously, as you say, interested in the whole Hamilton thing. Obviously, that's not till next season, though, isn't it? So. Yeah. It will be interesting, though, to see how Ferrari perform this season. And obviously, if they're really in contention, then that's a great sign for Lewis for next year. Yeah. 
So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that goes. If I like from the question before, really about obviously favorite drivers, I would say in a current era, if I had to sort of pick who I'm looking at all the time, I've got to respect Fernando Alonso as well. I mean, what an unbelievable driver he is, and all the teams he's been in, all the years he's been around, he just never fails to impress. Does he? He's a if he if he was in top teams for most of his career, he'd have a lot more than two world championships for me. Put it that way. So Fernando's one I always look for. He's been so unlucky with his choices of teams over the years. Um, it's, yeah. it's a real shame. But hopefully, Aston can do something. I mean, you never know with Aston what you're going to get. So I, I really don't know where they're going to sit this year. I really hope they've produced a good car. But that, I think the really interesting time is obviously going to come in uh, 2026 when they reset all the regulations. And it's it's back to ground zero. Everyone has to start yeah. fresh. Um, there's loads of new regs coming in. That's going to be an interesting time. And of course... The, uh, the Sauber team, Stake F1 team, will become Audi, which is going to be wicked um, to have another big manufacturer on the grid. So there's a lot of exciting things to look forward to. Putting your um, your crystal ball into action, who's going to win the championship this year? Who, who do you, head over heart, who's going to win? Um, my head says probably Max again. And again, another driver who, when he was coming through, I really, really liked and respected everything about him the way he's gone about it all and he's just he's starting to dominate obviously the car's helping him a lot as well but he is undoubtedly one of the best drivers on that grid and you can't knock that so I've got a feeling Max will do it again I think Red Bull will be strong again but I just do hope that as I said before it's going to be closer it's going to be a lot closer this year I hope Ferrari and Mercedes are a lot closer this year and it's a it's a proper fight you'd like to see these drivers battling it out you know um, I've got a soft spot for Lando Norris as well, uh, so I really love it. I love his character. Um, so I'd love the McLaren, and I'd love him to do well. I'd I'd love thing. I'd love him to sort of push into the winning a few more races and actually challenging a bit more. But F one's just that kind of sport, isn't it? Where you can't have it all. It's, it's the top teams are the top teams, and it's a bit it's a bit of a monopoly some seasons, isn't it? So. Yeah, just hoping for a tight season all round, really, as we I guess we do every year. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it sounds like you you know you're you're racing. We'll have to get we we have a um we have a celebrity charity karting event that we run every year, which this year is on the thirtieth of May. So if you're not at the table, then um, you should come along and take part. It's really good fun. And actually, Aston Martin had a team there uh, last year. I think they came second. Alpine came as well. And we had Janetta who won it. But it's really good fun. All right. sorts of levels come along. It's at Wilton Mill. Um, so we'll get you along to that and you can show us your prowess. Oh, I would love that. Your prowess I appreciate that. Track. I would love that. Yeah, it's something It's something I've wanted to do since I was younger, but never really had the chance or opportunity to do. And I've done it, you know, with me mates over the years, here and there. And I generally win, to be honest. I'm I'm not bad, so oh, there you go. Yeah, I would love that. That would be that would be brilliant. You should round up a couple of people from the tour and 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 put, submit a uh, a snooker entry because it it's good fun and it's competitive. I mean, we've had you know Liam Lawson. He you know had a couple of outings in F1 last year, and yeah, um, he's driven in F2 and other things. And um, we've had XF1 drivers, so you get to share the track with some cool people. So it's a it's a good way to test yourself and see if you do have any talent. And talking of of driving, you you've got your own setup at home. You've got a you've got a rig there. Do you enjoy the gaming side of things, trying out a few different cars and tracks? Yeah. So as I say, I'm not like a massive nerd. Like I don't have a PC set up and all that, and you know, play iRace and all that kind of thing. I'm just on the PS5 on the console. But yeah, I play Gran Turismo Seven. I play WRC. Um, and F1 here and there as well. 
so yeah, I've I've got a bit I've got a setup there. I, I play on it. I'm not I'm not playing on it lately as much as I should, to be honest. But obviously, my job gets in the way as well, so it's not easy. But yeah, I do like I love it when I can, and yeah, I'll, I'll be on it as I say a lot more in the next few weeks because my new little setups coming with the fanatic gear. Nice. So can't wait. Yeah, very good, very good. Oh, this is cool. Is it, do you know what this is the um, it's the first time we've had uh, in a hundred and I don't know what episode we're on a hundred and eighty something I think maybe a hundred ninety I'm not sure but we've you I think you're the first person we've had on since the the podcast started who's not actually in motorsport you know who's just a fan right. so it's actually really nice just to chat to someone who's just a fan of the sport. And, I feel um, privileged. Oh, it's, it's nice, you know, having a sort of different perspective on things rather than someone who's sort of deep in the sport at the at the coalface. It's um, it's really interesting. Um, let's turn our attention to the future. What what's next for you? Presumably, just to keep fighting your way up the tour, keep going up the rankings, and and try and get more and more money. I guess at the end of the day, because you know we've all got to make a buck. Yeah, as you say, just just more of the boring stuff. Yeah, really, just make more money, keep progressing, keep trying to win more tournaments. Yeah, the usual things you would naturally think, I guess. Um, obviously, an end goal at some stage would not an end goal, but a goal throughout my career would be to try and win the world championship one day. That's the big one, isn't it? So, obviously, trying my best every year, every season, um, and yeah, just want to try and establish myself properly inside the top sixteen. And yeah, keep fighting for more tournaments, keep making the dollars, as you say, and have a good career. Finish off my career in hopefully 10, 15 years, whatever it may be, and look back on it with, you know, a bit of pride. That's that's the goal. Very good. Now, um, we have a final three questions, which we ask everybody. They throw up a myriad of different answers, and these can be related to your personal life, sport, something else entirely. There's, it doesn't have to stick to one topic. The first one, what's got you excited at this very moment? Oh, not a lot gets me excited. Um, <laughs> this 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 wonderful Motormouth podcast with the lovely oh, Tim Sylvie. There you that, go. That's what's got me excited. Um, the fact that he said I can go go karting. There yeah. you go. There you go. Yeah, it's good fun. You'll enjoy that. It's a really good day out. There's, there's about, I think last time we had about 25 different teams on track, which on a go-kart track is a lot of teams. So it's, it's fairly right. chaotic. You'll enjoy it. Like I said, get, get, get a few of the... Uh, the soapbox roster or the uh, the guys from the tour are over and get a team of four and you're away. Um, That'd be great. Second question for you. What's one lesson that your job has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Ooh, um, probably, I think the word resilience springs to mind. Um, you, you To get anywhere, this is going to sound so philosophical. I like it. To get on. anywhere and do anything at any sort of high level, I think you've got to learn that you've got to be resilient and you've, you're going to lose and fail a lot. But that is part of the process that makes you succeed at the end of the day. Um, so, yeah, being strong enough minded to know that losing isn't the worst thing in the world and it's actually going to help you. It's going to make you progress and actually get to where you want to be. You, you can't get there without failing and without losing. So yeah, resilience and persistence, I would say, is, is the key to anything in life for me. Very wise words. Final one for you. What are you scared of? Scared of? Um, not a lot, to be honest. Mm, any, any weird creatures? Any 
Any phobias? Any deep-rooted um, mental issues going on in there? Not really. I mean, my me mates would tell you, this, and my me, me wife as well, I, I don't really get embarrassed easily. Not really scared of anything. Not really any phobia. I guess the only thing phobia-wise, and it's not even a phobia really, but I'm not great with heights. Right. Um, it's not like, you know, I can't go on a tall building and I can, I, can, I can, but, you know, sort of put me over the edge of a, of a really tall building and I'm a little bit a little bit sort of lightheaded as in oh, I don't quite like that but it's not really a phobia it's just that's probably the biggest thing really like massive heights like hanging over the edge of something kind of thing I get yeah, that I get that it. thing with uh with heights where if I if I'm at the top of a tall building I get that feeling like oh shit I'm gonna jump no I'm not and my whole my whole stomach like goes you know what I mean yeah I feel like I'm you gonna... get that thing is like what what if I just jump like yeah. <laughs> it's just a strange feeling you get but it is them tall buildings where you know you can walk on the glass floors and stuff and yeah, yeah. absolutely fine with all that I'm not bothered at all but it's 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 always like over the edge as I say that's a bit of a gets us a little bit queasy sometimes yeah. yeah we'll stay away from the edge listen Gary it's been absolutely <laughs> fascinating talking to you um, clearly a big motorsport fan and you know your stuff and um, it sounds really exciting with the, the snooker career I'll definitely be uh, keeping a close eye on how things progress for you um, I hope I really hope we'll see you with the karting so we'll talk about that offline but um, for now thank you so much for joining us on the Motormouth podcast thanks a lot yeah Tim really appreciate it um, it's been it's been great thanks a lot Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too. So make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 